Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. But where are we with regards to the ongoing problems? And I suppose when the countdown to this general election started, everyone was thinking about Brexit. Brexit this, Brexit that, Brexit the other thing. But Brexit's almost been forgotten about now because of the health crisis here in our country. So what are you talking to the politicians on the doorstep about? Are you still blathering on about Brexit or are you asking hard questions about local issues? Let me speak to a gentleman who certainly has an understanding of the health service and a a, a former leading light in it, John Compton. John, good morning. Morning, Frank. Uh, John, if you were in situ today, would you have any sympathy for the people on the picket line? Oh, I think I would have sympathy for them. Uh, the issue of the break in parity is really a quite a profound change in their terms and conditions. And uh, I, I do think that uh, they have a genuine claim uh, to get a better pay settlement than they've been offered over the past couple of years. So why don't they just give them the money then? Because these are vital people of huge benefit to us all. You're a former chief executive of the Health and Social Care Board. You know what they're looking for. Why don't they just give them the money? Well, you can only spend the money you've got, and the department is quite clear that it doesn't have the money to make the settlement. I mean, the gap now is about 100 million uh, in terms of making a, a full reinstatement of pay parity, and they simply don't have that. I think the amount of money that's talked about is they have about half of that, 50 million. So they need a political solution, and they need political support to make this thing all work. But can they not give them the money that's promised to cut the waiting lists? Give them that money, employ permanent staff on proper salaries, and that in itself will feed into correcting the waiting list. Well, no, I think you you, you have to have a, uh, not confuse a separate series of issues. There's a pay issue, and irrespective of anything else, you need the hundred million to fix the pay issue. In terms of waiting lists, they probably need something in the order of a hundred million pounds a year to begin to address waiting lists as well. So I, I know a lot a lot of time for for the man and woman listening to your program. They confuse these issues, but it really is important to just talk about pay as pay. And the only way in which the pay will get resolved if there's is if there's political uh, involvement in, in this in the solution. Well, it's not. Just- just the man, the woman or the presenter of the programme is confusing, as you say, one with the other. Pat Cullen, who heads the RCN, uh, the Royal College of Nursing, their leading spokesperson, is saying 500 million used to cut waiting lists should instead have been used to pay for more permanent staff. 
Well, I, I mean, I, I simply I, I don't agree with that. I think it's a very simplistic analysis. Uh, there have been locum staff or agency staff in health service since it was formed in 1948. I think the point that people are making nowadays is that the reliance on agency staff is much greater than it ever was before. We do have a workforce issue, but the workforce issue is really separate from the pay issue. Uh, yes, it'll play into the pay issue a little bit in terms of whether nurses who can earn more money will go and work in Scotland, for example, instead of working in Northern Ireland when they qualify. But the real issue here is whether or not uh, we can get a proper pay deal for the staff on the ground. Are the politicians hiding their heads on this one? Can we trace it back to, in particular, two main parties who allowed this to happen? Well, I mean, I think there's no doubt that often you hear people saying, well, do you miss having an executive? Does it really matter whether there's one here or not? Well, actually, in terms of the health service, you're seeing in a very, very sharp focus why it is so important to have a local devolved assembly. And in the absence of a devolved assembly, there is a responsibility on the Secretary of State to intervene. I know he has indicated that this is a matter, you know, of devolution and all of that. But such is the the nature of this problem that I think that that position is really not defensible. And can you see it being resolved or will we get to the 18th of December and have a major crisis day that day and then eventually everyone will go back and the bickering will continue, the work will limp on but we'll still have no resolution? Well, I, you know, I, I've said uh, in, in the paper today, I really, really think we all need to just pause for a moment and think about what where we're going to get to here because uh, the people who are really paying the price in the middle of this yes the workforce because they're they're not properly paid but actually the people at the really sharp end of this are patients and their families and they're having to deal with a very difficult time and i think it's a responsibility of us all to sort of stand back a little bit and think well maybe we should just pause and see if there's a way in which we can solve this other than in in these sort of heavily conflicted situations because it's quite easy to stumble into them it's very hard to get out of them yeah you do say in your piece that you've written in the Belfast Telegraph I once had a boss who used to say in difficult situations it's time to get a grip and take control never was this advice more relevant to our health service this should be the demand of our patients uh, this 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 should be the demand of our patients to all concerned so is it a, a, a call to people on the picket line, to people in management, to people in the, the boards, to people who are at work. Uh, is, is everyone being demanded to, off to, to get a grip and to take control? Well, is that what I you're think, saying? I think, I th- yeah, I think all of the parties should pause and should really think about what this all actually means for them. And that does mean the, uh, the department, it means the politicians, and it means the staff organisations. So it means the people on the picket line who you say you have sympathy for, but you still think that they need to get a grip and take control of what they're doing? I think they need to, think, they need to reflect very, very seriously about what this actually means. You know, uh, and I know they do. I know the staff who work in the health service are fantastic, you know, and I know that they're not happy about being on strike. But I really do think that when we get to this sort of stage, it's incumbent on everybody just to pause and take a moment to reflect on what's the, the correct and proper thing to do. They will be saying, as they listen, of course, on that picket line, that John Compton is, he, he's the voice of the establishment. He's a former chief executive. He would say that. 
Well, they might do that. They might do that, and I understand that. But that doesn't take away from the fact that um, uh, we're in a very, very difficult situation here, and many patients, many patients, are experiencing very difficult times, and that difficulty can only get worse. Okay. Really appreciate your time, John. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. John Compton, who is uh, writing in the Belfast Telegraph today and uh, also, of course, a former chief executive of the Northern Ireland uh, Health and Social Care uh, Board. Now, Sam McBride has been writing about it and John Tong's uh, writing and talking about it. I'll have a conversation with with both of them. Uh, John, one of the things I said at the very beginning there to John Compton was on the doorstep the politicians are arriving and a number of days ago the crack would all have been about Brexit. Brexit's almost been forgotten about. In, in this country because of this health crisis? Well, that's right, and it shows the, the pressure uh, to restore the Assembly, to take control of health matters again. I mean, frankly, there is a case now, if the Assembly is not coming back, there's a pretty clear case for Julian Smith, as Secretary of State, to take powers back to Westminster, but he's insistent, as Secretary of State, that, that Westminster won't do that. But, frankly, if Westminster can intervene on, on issues like same-sex marriage and, and abortion, then there's obviously a case... For, for arguing that, um, that Westminster should take control of the NHS crisis because the crisis is deepening. I mean, if you look at the statistics for Northern Ireland in terms of waiting times, in terms of uh, waits for urgent operations, cancer operations, you know, it, it's really damning. And I think that, you know, ultimately someone has to take control here. It simply cannot go on. Now, the Secretary of State's approach so far has been to talk about elections in the new year. Well, that, that's a delay of still several months then let's say he called elections in uh, late january the election wouldn't take place till march well what happens throughout the rest of winter into spring in terms of the nhs crisis within northern ireland frankly nothing can happen whilst the assembly is away so uh, there's a case i think for, for urgent intervention that's not to say an assembly would be a panacea and it, it was interesting i thought what john compton said where he said that you know there, there were the differences of opinion as to whether the money that was obtained extra money for, for northern Ireland was obtained by the dup whether it should have gone into uh cutting waiting times or whether it should have gone to, into the appointment of more staff so there would be the same disagreements over strategy perhaps but at least within an assembly context you would feel that something was being done there's a bit of arm twisting going on from Julian Smith, isn't there? He he may not have his hands physically on the arms of Sinn Féin or the DUP, but he's allowing them to be embarrassed by what's happening on those picket lines. I think there's a clear sense of frustration uh, that's held by, by Julian Smith. And you know the fact that he said that elections almost certainly will take place in the new year is indicative uh, of that. Now, whether elections are a panacea is another matter. Um, if you look at the, the manifestos that have been released so far by the parties, there aren't the great differences in approach to Stormont that you might expect. If you, I've looked at the DUPs, I've looked at Alliance's manifesto, I've looked at, at Sinn Féin's, they all talk about reform or restriction of petitions of concern. The DUP and, and Alliance talk about potentially getting rid of communal designations where the MLAs have to designate as unionist, nationalist or other. Sinn Féin don't go that far in their manifesto. If you look at some of the issues, they have been dealt with. Same-sex marriage has been you know, introduced uh, via Westminster. Uh, abortion has been introduced. So where are these great boulders on the road now? Uh, obviously, an Irish Language Act, that remains, I think, the biggest single barrier 
by, by, by some distance. And I still don't see where the compromise is going to come uh, on that. Arlene Foster made very clear at a party conference uh, in November, uh, the DP's conference in October, sorry, that, you know, that, that there could be movement on that. Uh, she was trying to hold out an olive branch uh, in that respect. So if it can be dealt with, what are the other big issues? Well, there are some legacy issues that still remain unresolved, as we know, and I don't underestimate the significance of them. So there's two big issues, but some of the other issues have been dealt with now, and some of the structural reforms within Stormont, there is a cross-party consensus emerging as to what to do to reform the procedures at Stormont. So there is at least a basis, there is at least a potential for a restoration of Stormont. We still have, of course, the RHI report to come, and you know, does anyone really see Stormont getting back together you know, on, on this side of that report because of the, the, the damage it could potentially inflict upon certain individuals? And John, do you think people, when they go out on the 12th of December, will be making a decision based on the greater picture, or is it simply down to leave or remain? I think some voters may try and blame the DUP or Sinn Féin for, for the failure to restore uh, the Assembly and Executive, given they are the big two. So there may be some sort of blame game, so it may potentially harm them slightly. But it is still a Brexit-dominated election. Um, let's face it, um, you know, that's the big o- overarching context. And, of course, that feeds in to the problem of restoring the Assembly because, you know, as soon, let's say the Assembly got back together in February or March, then, you know, we might still be arguing about Brexit within the Assembly. So it would have a destabilising effect. But I think there's, there's still public support for devolution. If you look at successive opinion polls, they all show, despite the cynicism that you'll hear in the, in the back of a Belfast taxi or whatever, as, as the taxi driver lambasts the people up at the hill, but there's still, every opinion poll has showed that the public still want devolution to be restored. Only about 10 to 15% say they want direct rule. Right? So, you know, devolution is still the only show in town. The question is the mechanics of getting it back together. Okay, John, John Tom, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Sam McBride is a political editor with the newsletter. Sam, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Is devolution the only show in town at this present moment in time? Well, it's not because devolution is 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 obviously not here. Um, is it is it something that might come back? Um, I think there are signs, um, some signs over the last few weeks that the DUP and Sinn Féin are a little bit keener to get back into Stormont and a little bit willing, um, more willing to a compromise, perhaps to get that back. And um, particularly from the DUP's point of view, um, Arlene Foster was asked uh, last week at her manifesto launch about her stance on the Irish Language Act, and she is sounded um, less robust in her opposition to it than had been the case at one point. Um, but I think that regardless of what happens um, in, in that situation, it is not going to be back for at least, even at the most optimistic um, reading, for several weeks. And we're in a situation now where we're being told that lives are at stake as a result of what is happening in the health service. And I think one of the really alarming things here is that regardless of one's view of devolution versus direct rule or any other form of government, um, there are only those two choices before us at this point and if devolution is not a choice at this point immediately to take a decision now the only alternative um, under our system of government is direct rule and it is pretty concerning I think that at this point even where we're told that lives are at stake that Julian Smith and the Northern Ireland office are saying that they um, they are really not saying anything but by implication by not saying anything they, they do not seem to even be prepared to think about direct rule even at this stage and I think that is, that is pretty alarming and it is 
something which would not be tolerated in any other part of the UK or Ireland. If you had three years without a government, if you had people um, having their lives put at risk as a result of that, and people are not even thinking about one of the possibilities that might be um, a solution to that situation, at least in the short term. Well, he doesn't have to show his hand on direct rule until after the 12th of December. Well, I think one, there is there is a there is a there is a particular difficulty for Julian Smith, and that that, that is that um, for him to implement direct rule, if he was to decide to do that, and he's clearly nowhere near that, it would seem from what he is saying at the moment. But if he if he was to suddenly decide this is a a complete catastrophe, um, maybe things escalate, maybe something else happens, we need an an an, uh, an a very immediate intervention from a minister, and I am the only person who can do that. He is now in a situation where it is literally impossible for him to do that until Parliament comes back. It might be two weeks away, it might be longer, it depends on what happens on the other side of the election and um, because there would be a requirement now for legislation to go through the House of Commons, through the House of Lords and get royal assent before he could do that and even though that legislation would be very straightforward it would be um, two sides of a page probably, um, that is something which he did not do before Parliament was dissolved and he did not need to, to implement direct rule but he could have passed what is known as um, enabling legislation that really gives him the power at a point where he deems that it is appropriate to step in and have that as as a weapon in his arsenal, if you like, something that he could use to defuse a particular situation. By choosing not to do that, we're now in this quite dangerous vacuum, I think, where there is literally nothing that can be done uh, to govern Northern Ireland in a major crisis if the DUP and Sinn Féin continue to refuse um, to agree to go back into Stormont. And finally, Sam, the election is almost upon us. The politicians are canvassing. Has our mindset as an electorate shifted from Brexit to health and to devolved issues? And will that, in your opinion, play out on the 12th of December? I think that will be a pretty acute concern for the DUP and Sinn Féin in particular. They're the dominant parties in Northern Ireland. They are the establishment, if you like, the political establishment in Northern Ireland. They are also the parties who, um, for most of the last decade between them, have been responsible for the health department, not just in a direct sense in terms of them providing the Minister of Health, but also in an indirect sense in that they controlled the executive. Um, If one of them was was not happy with what the other was doing, they had a very powerful forum in which to express that. And so Therefore, if this moves away from the more comfortable um, constitutional, tribal, sectarian, whatever um, it it may be for individual voters' territory, um, and from from Brexit, which for many people I think is a a de facto extension of that, it is seen through a very green and orange prism, if it moves on to this issue, I think that is is something that they will not welcome and they will be concerned about. I'd be very surprised if there's any radical collapse in the vote for either of those parties, but I think that as we saw earlier this year after the murder of Lyra McKee. That was something which obviously um, took everybody by surprise. It was something which made it much more difficult for the DUP and Sinn Féin to run a much more tribal and orange and green election campaign. And as a result of that, I think in, in part at least, we saw a big surge for the Alliance Party and for some of the other smaller parties and a, a difficulty for the DUP and Sinn Féin, which were losing ground either in terms of votes or in seats. And I think if, if something like that happens here, that could potentially be quite significant and potentially that would be quite a strong message to those parties that that actually having gone on for three years, the public are starting to get tired of this, even if they're not um, in droves, perhaps walking away from those parties. 
Okay, Sam, thank you very much indeed. Sam McBride, Deputy, or sorry, the political editor, political editor of the newsletter. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.